You're listening to the National Football Foundation's Tom Lombardo Chapter Podcast. Uh, it's an honor for me to be here today because all these gentlemen right here who I grew up uh, watching, Section 368, my brother Doug here, my dad right there, never missed a game. I can just look at Bob DeMarco, number 61, Tim Van Gillen, number 16, Mel Gray, number 85, Tim Carney, number 56, the greatest offensive line coach of all time, Jim Hannafin, number 55, Eric Williams, number 35, Jim Otis. We have a Raider here today, but... (laughs) Yes. The pride of McBride and a four-time Pro Bowler. Number 23, Johnny Rowland, and number 27, Mr. Moss, Eddie Moss. So... Yeah. I don't know what day my trash comes, but I could write a composition on every one of their careers. Uh, let's, let's begin down here with uh, one of the best centers to ever play in the league, Bob DeMarco. Bob, kind of just give us your take of what it was like in the trenches all those years and, and being as great a center as you were. Kind of reflect on that. Basically, it was a street fight. <laughs> You know, you talk about today's game, and I talk about the sumo wrestling when I watch these guys. The offensive linemen weigh 310, and the defensive linemen are 300, and they're pushing and grabbing. Back in my day, we didn't do that. Uh, we got to have our arms close to our chest and the head slaps and so forth. Literally, it was a, it was basically a street fight the whole time. Uh, but it was something I enjoyed, and I did it for 15 years. Uh, I played with some of the, the offensive line I had here. That I played with. I played with some Hall of Famers. Played with uh, Gene Hickerson, Larry Little, Tom Mack, and there's one guy I wouldn't trade for any of them, and that's Ken Gray. He's probably the toughest SOB I ever played with. And then we had Irv Goody, the guy who could play tackle, center, guard, and probably linebacker. And Bob Reynolds, he could look the side of a building. And he had Ernie McMillan. And those five guys, uh, believe me, I went to Miami Dolphins, and when I got down there. These guys couldn't block their pass block their mothers. <laughs> and I, I realized how great an offensive line we had, you know, at, at, in St. Louis. And, uh, but it was just, just to go out, you know, I, I never understood later on when guys would, were on taking dope to get high. I used to get high just going to the stadium. I mean, literally, I used to get high just before the game. If I had taken anything else, I don't know what the hell I would have done. I probably would have been flying around the stadium. <laughs> but it, it was just a pleasure. You know, the guys that I played ball with, I'm friends with them still today. It's something that you you develop through the years. I mean, when you go through all the hardships and so forth. But the era that we all played football is entirely different than what you watch on TV today. And I don't think the guys, if we had the same rules, with the cut blocks, the <laughs> crack back block. I don't think these guys would be playing. They wouldn't know what the hell to do. <laughs> they say we couldn't play today, but I don't think they play in our era either. <laughs> you know, just think about this. I played in the longest game in NFL history. I was with the Dolphins. We played Kansas City on Christmas Day. And it, we, wound, we wound up winning it. And it was going it was in the sixth quarter, middle of the sixth quarter. And the game lasted three hours and 14 minutes. Today, we would have played, it would have been six hours or seven hours. <laughs> and it would have ran out of time. It would have been midnight by the time the game was over with. So it's an entirely different game. Uh, tell you the truth, I don't watch the game anymore. I really don't. I couldn't tell you who's, who's in first or whatever. I just don't watch on Sundays. I watch college football because I love college football, but I just don't watch the present-day game. Bob DeMarco, everybody.
Our next gentleman, uh, in terms of like athletes, there's not many better that we've had in our area. I mean, this was a, an unbelievable baseball pitcher at Iowa, all Big Ten pitcher. If you ever seen him play golf, he was a scratch golfer. He became a tremendous television personality at Channel 4. And he also, number 16, was a roommate of Joe Namath, which could inspire a story or two. Actually, he was one of the nicest men you'd ever want to meet, Joe Namath. Uh, unfortunately, the game of football, quarterbacks, receivers, running backs, get most of the ink, most of the, quote, stardom stuff. But I had a high school coach that put it all in perspective. He said, anybody can run through a hole. It takes a man to make one. <laughs> Meaning... If you don't have those big boys up in front doing their job, I don't care how good a running back you are. I don't care how good a quarterback. If you don't have time to throw, I was out at a buddy's house, a high school buddy out in Colorado, watching some sort of game. And some lady goes, oh, blah, blah, blah. And she just badmouthed some guy. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. How'd the left guard play today? She looked at me like I was crazy. I said, how did the right tackle play today? Same look. I said, see, those guys get the least amount of ink and do most of the work. Because if you don't have a good line, I don't care how good a running back you are or how good a quarterback you are. If you don't have time to throw, okay, I'll get off my horse here. <laughs> thanks for as little as I played. Thanks for having me here. EBG. All right. Um, you know, if a, if a wide receiver has like one special game and let's say he catches like five balls for, for 100 yards. Oh my gosh, he averaged 20 yards a catch in a single game. Well, Mel Gray averaged almost 20 yards a catch for his entire freaking career. If you haven't looked lately, and, and I just looked recently because we had Mel on television, you ought to YouTube Mel Gray highlights, and it's like every play, it seems so easy. Jim Hart would go back to pass, and he would throw it as far as he could, and Mel would run as fast as he could, and the ball would go right in his hands. No, there will never be another 85 Mel Gray. Yes, but I have to give the, the credit to the offensive line. Conrad Dobler. <laughs> Dan Deardor, Tom Banks. Anyway, it, 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 you know, football, it, it, it was easy because I had some speed. Now, I have to think about a few things. When I first came to the Cardinals in 71, Ernie McMillan asked me to stay out after practice and be a defensive end. And he wanted me to run back as fast as I could to get to the quarterback. And he put a ball back there. And I said, shit, this is easy. I took off towards the ball. Ernie dropped his left leg and knocked the shit out of me. <laughs> and he said, let's do it again. I said, hell no, you didn't tell me you were going to hit me that hard. <laughs> but anyway, it, it, it was easy. I had the speed. But then I wanted to play more. This was with Bob Holloway. I'll tell you this story. And my first four, <laughs> the barber laughed. But then my first four passes that I caught were for touchdowns. And I said, coach, can I play? He said, Mel, you're not tough enough. 
I said, bullshit, I'm tougher. <laughs> so I didn't play that much. The second year in 72, we were playing our last preseason game in Bush Stadium against Chicago. And I says, I'm going to prove to him today that I'm tough enough to play this game. Now, down here we got Eric Williams. Eric Williams had some weights in his downstairs, and I couldn't lift shit, right? <laughs> so before I left, he had me benching 315, so I thought I was throwing his battery acid. So I'm looking up. We ran a pass route. Well, Amado Shah was there on, on this particular day. He was supposed to get out of bounds, but he reversed the field, and he started going another way. And behind him was Dick Butkus. I says, I'm going to knock this shit out of Dick Butkus. <laughs> so I'm hiding behind Dan Durdoff. He couldn't see me. So when Dick got there, I stood up in front. Biggest fucking mistake ever made about that. <laughs> I was out the rest of the season. I mean, I didn't know someone could be that hard. I didn't read a book on Dick Butkus. If I'd have read a book, I wouldn't have did it. You know, so it tells you how smart I was at that time. But today, I mean, I see these receivers running down free, catching passes, jumping in the air. And back in the day, like DeMarco said, I mean, when you jumped in there, you got the shit knocked out of you, whether you caught the ball or not. But I was fortunate enough to have an uh, offensive line and Jim Hart to throw in the ball, and I, I uh, had a great time. Could have stuck around a little longer, but that's another story. Um, and I'm going to let that go. All right. Thanks, guys, for coming. Our next guest was a uh, starting middle linebacker for a long time in the league, but when he first came into the league, he was a special teams performer, and there he was the author of maybe the most violent hit in St. Louis professional football history. We talk about it on radio. Could you uh, relay the story, Mr. Tim Carney? Sure. Uh, they, don't, they don't allow wedge busting anymore. They don't have a wedge anymore. Uh, but the guy that was on the kickoff who stood next to the kicker was the wedge buster and they figured that linebackers don't have a lot of brains they'll put them there <laughs> and i was one of those guys so your job was to this four-man big-ass offensive lineman again coming at you and uh, you're supposed to bust it so that somebody else can make the tackle that was the deal well you know somebody up front should you know take a shot at you at least no well, nobody did that and the wedge just let me go and so the next thing i hit dave hampton clothesline him and he you know, left town on Wednesday, he's supposed to leave on Sunday. Oh yeah, you were his coach then, right? That's right, Johnny was his coach. Uh, uh, but I'll tell you another story. Um, uh, I, was, I was with the Chiefs before I came here, and uh, they had some little jack-off uh, uh, linebacker from Oklahoma, Jimbo Elrod, that they were going to keep instead of me, so, you know, I could see the writing on the wall. So we're playing St. Louis, obviously, and I, they're great offensive line. Uh, you know, you you name them, they had them. So I was going to go out with a bang. So it was a screenplay, and uh, you know I saw Banks turn up field again. It was like a wedge thing. I didn't slow down. I didn't break down. I just hit him as hard as I could. And he came up to me after the game, which is uh, normally the guys would do that, and he went, uh, uh, "Hey, are you okay?" I go, "Yeah." <laughs> He goes, you're going to get hurt playing like that. <laughs> so I thought about that. And, and two weeks later, I'm in the Cardinal locker room. Well, he must have told everybody. Okay. And, it, of course, he wasn't shy. So he's loud. And, and, and he comes over to me and goes, hey, 
what was your number in Kansas City? I said, 50. And he turns around to all of, you know, all of everybody you know, Dobler, Bob Young, Theodore. Hey, it is that crazy son of a bitch from Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> so the offensive line liked me right away, but that's my story. <laughs> offensive line story again. You have a story about Tim? Yeah. Uh, when I was at the Cleveland Browns, we used to watch the special teams. And we were playing the Cincinnati Bengals in Ohio Stadium. And I'm watching the special teams, and I'm watching this 56 run down the field. And this guy, I said, run that thing back again. And he was going down and just destroyed. He was like uh, running down the field, and a hand grenade would go off. Bodies would be flying all over. And I said, that is one crazy son of a bitch. <laughs> and that was my man right there. <laughs> So you can, there's a lot of debates in St. Louis about who was the best, like Vermeil or Coriel or Hart or Warner or Gray or Bruce or Marshall or Metcalf, but there's no debate on who the greatest offensive line coach we've ever had and maybe the best in the history of the NFL, Jim Hannafin. Thank you, thank you very much. Certainly a pleasure to be here and be with these guys. Um, there's something special about the game, as we heard on the the uh, broadcast on TV earlier this afternoon. The um, the thing about it that I really appreciate is the 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 human element, the personality that you see coming from all these fellas, whether it's Johnny Rowland or Tim Carney or Mel Gray or or Bobby DeMarco, whoever it is. There's a personality there, and it shows all the time. And uh, it just, it makes you uh, hungry. It makes you, it, sitting here right now, uh, and I'll go back to my apartment now and, and break down and start fucking crying probably. <laughs> <laughs> because you miss, you miss the game, you miss the companionship that you, you've experienced throughout your entire career, and whether that be high school or college or professional, it's, it's all the same. It's all the same. And, and I just came from a reunion, my college uh, teammates, and unfortunately, not very many guys are left. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it, the guys that show up are guys that were uh, freshmen or sophomores when I was a senior, because most of the guys, my class, I don't think there's one guy left in my class that uh, they're all gone. They're all gone. And uh, that hurts a hell of a lot. And we've all gotten together for many, many years, 32 years. And I wasn't able to go to all the reunions, but I've been able to go since I retired. And uh, it's remarkable how what a wonderful thing it is. But again, you know, it's a thing that, uh, next year is our last time we're going to meet. It was announced, and we all sat there and, and heard our president say, "This it's going to be next year. Better be here for that one because that's the one that's the end of the deal. There was no no longer is it going to be around." And that stunned all of us because it makes you know that closure that that's not fun at all. You know to say, "Well, I'll be damned." You know now, what are we going to do now? You know. And it's hard, it's tough. But thank the good Lord of having the great game and the guys that play the game. That's the bottom line. 
there's a special quality of fellas that play the game, whether that be the high school level or the college level or the pro level. Always remember that. It's all the same. Thank you very much. Eric, you were an eighth-round pick, right? Correct. Out of USC, eighth-round picks are not supposed to last a decade in the league. Eric was a starter almost his entire career. He tackled some of the great running backs of all time. Eric Williams. Well, first I want to say thank you for just wanting to see somebody like me, a little bitty kid from Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, <laughs> Mel's not telling the truth, but uh, it's funny. Uh, since he said that, I'll tell him a little story about me meeting Mel. And uh, people will not believe it, but at one point I was only 5'4", 124 pounds. And Mel looked like a giant to me, and I guess I was a, a freshman in high school. And him and Terry Metcalf came to Kansas City, because I believe Mel's first wife lived in Kansas City. <laughs> I'm not going to say how many times he's been married. But, uh, but he was, and it was, you know... Uh, I guess a little bitty kid in Kansas City seeing Mel Gray and Terry Metcalf playing catch with them, and we had our little football practice. So the Cardinals draft me, and uh, they draft me in the eighth round, and Mel's in the uh, Whirlpool. It wasn't a big one like they have now, but one of those little steel ones with the uh, boat motors in them. And uh, by this time, I'm 6'2", 225 when the Cardinals had drafted me, and I walked up to him, and I said, hey, Mel. He looks up and I said, you remember me? He says, hell no. <laughs> he, he cracks me up because he thought I was, uh, uh, he had messed with one of my girlfriends or something. So he, <laughs> he said, no, I don't know you. But then I told him, I said, I'm that little freckle-faced kid in Kansas City that uh, you and Terry came and played catch with us and the whole bit. But uh, you think about the relationships and the friendships uh, in football, uh, going back over the years, I think about my high school teammates, like Coach said, my college teammates, uh, professional guys, that type of thing, the camaraderie, just sticking together, like me and Timmy over here. He was a wedge buster. Uh, being an eighth-round draft choice, Coach will tell you, that's was my job. I, and they had, what was it, four linemen, lock hands together, and uh, we would have to go down there and take on four guys at one time. Uh, the reason I got to start, because I had a little loose screw like Timmy, I took, I took him on. And uh, I made uh, tackles, how I did it, I don't know. Uh, but when we played, I was all about hit. That was it. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. Like Bob said, it's a street fight. And that's what I can't understand about the game today. I could never let somebody continually beat me play after play. And I guess that's the biggest difference between our era and this era now. I thank you for just listening to me for a few minutes. You know, when you look back at the Big Red and the, the great Coriel era when they went 10-4, uh, and 11-3, 10-4, those three years, it was a perfect offense. He had the, the quarterback who should be in the Hall of Fame and Jim Hart. He had the scat back who could do everything in Terry Metcalf, speed receiver in Mel, possession receiver, in uh, Pat Tilly, you had this Pro Bowl offensive line, you had a Hall of Fame tight end, and then you had the fullback, 1,000-yard rusher. 
1,000-yard rusher who just punished linebackers. All-American at Ohio State. One of the best fullbacks in the history of the NFL, Jim Otis. I started out when I was just two or three years old. That's all I wanted to do was play football. And uh, it's amazing how you just you, you get a little bit better every year. And, you know, when I'm listening to Bob, uh, and all the all the people that he he talked about. I know you remember their names. The big difference between those guys and the guys that play today well, were, were size, but they were athletes. These linemen in those days were athletes, and they could do things and move. and And today, if you watch the offensive linemen, they just kind of, they just kind of stand there and uh, get in the way. And you know, I, I look at the way that um, the running backs are uh, running ball. Uh, these guys are, they're, they get the, it doesn't have to, ha you don't have to have the quarterback get back deep to give you the handoff. They just kind of turn, and that running back's kind of hesitant right there. And um, half of his runs are either stopped for no gain or, or, or minus, and then they have to be uh, the type of guy that can get out there and get 25 yards when, when something pops. But um, today it's so, it's so different. Uh, you know, when it's uh, I'm, I'm looking at these these short yardage situations and then when you get inside the five yard line, um, it's nothing's for sure because because of the way they play. I like to you know, when I was when I was running the ball, my whole philosophy as a runner was to get to the line of scrimmage and past it, you know, before really the defensive linemen or linebackers could see that I had the ball. You get up in there. They don't do that at all today. And that's not, that's not the way that they, they want to, they want to run. But, uh, I don't know which way is better or anything like that, but I know that, uh, I agree with, uh, Tim, uh, the people that I had the chance to know and, and play with and everything are guys that, uh, they don't have to put a name tag on their, their breast because we remember those guys forever. Uh, I played uh, with a great group of guys at Ohio State, and we've started to lose a few of the, the guys that were on that national championship team. And then, of course, I'm real happy to say that uh, these guys, I played with most of these guys, and uh, they are outstanding human beings. And uh, it was uh, kind of special that you can let a little of that rub off on you because you can see what kind of people they are and um, that's I think that's why I love football so much it was not so much the the tackling and and running and and all the tough stuff that you think about when you talk about football but but just the type of people that I had the opportunity to be with and grow up with uh, so I guess you're next but you get, well, you're going to get a, a real good introduction here from Frank. You know, when you think about it in terms of like St. Louis high school kids and Pro Bowl success, I don't know if anybody's got more than Gus, four of them, four of them with the Oakland Raiders. All-American at Mizzou, one of the best linebackers in the AFL. The pride of McBride High School, Gus up. Thank you, thank you. You know, it's one of these 
sports where you're always a lot better after you quit playing. <laughs> and when you get somebody like Frank, who's a, he was probably not born when we played, <laughs> they appreciate you a lot more. But you know, uh, I appreciate these Cardinals making me an honorary Cardinal. They didn't. It wasn't official, I don't think, was it? I mean, they didn't vote on it, but. You know, Howard Richards and myself, you know, are being invited to this. It's nice. We appreciate it. Anytime we have a free lunch, it's pretty good. <laughs> but, you know, the Cardinals in the past were similar to, uh, like, uh, like the Raiders. You know, Al Davis had a team that he had an offensive line that he loved, and he had a quarterback that threw a bomb, and he had receivers. He loved receivers like Mel Gray. So that's, it's, it's kind of like the, a similar team than, uh, that the Raiders were. You know, and once again, I just say thanks for you know, making me an honorary cardinal. And we got Johnny and and Mel and and Howard. We got all the Tigers here too. You know, yeah. so don't don't give up on the Tigers either. Okay, thanks. Next, we have number twenty-three, Johnny Rowland. Uh, we all remember him as a running back, but you got to remember at Mizzou, he was an All-American defensive back. And then uh, about a nine-year career in the NFL as a running back. Who can ever forget 1970 Monday Night Football? The Cardinals beat the Cowboys 38 to nothing, and you had a punt return for a touchdown, if I remember correct. And a reception. And a reception for a touchdown. <laughs> uh, also, uh, one of the best running backs coaches in the NFL lasted 27 years including coaching the great Walter Payton. Johnny Rowland. Thanks, Frank. Uh, you just told my age. <laughs> and uh, and I looked down on the dais here. Let's see. I didn't play with, uh, with uh, you. Yeah. I didn't play with, I didn't play with Big O. I didn't play with uh, Big Man here. How is it that we got one, two, three, four, fullbacks sitting at the <laughs> ass end of the table? <laughs> so we, that, uh, that tells you that uh, we, we enjoyed uh, uh, re re the, being the reception of either the handoff or the pass. But in those days, we had to be blocking fullbacks. They had uh, scatbacks and, and those kind of things. I just have the uh, be fortunate enough in my early in my career when I got recruited from to Missouri from Texas Corpus Christi uh, 1960 state championship <laughs> but anyway I uh, ended up having to go both ways in those days you had to play both ways and, uh, and of course coach Dan Devine was my college coach and he uh, sold me a bill of goods about uh, we we're going against uh, Craig Morton at, at the University of California, and we, we have a very young uh, secondary. Uh, uh, how about if you just go back there and, you know, just give them a little leadership and a little guidance? And lo and behold, I mean, not only was it from the first game on, it was from the 10th game all the way through the end of the season. But it was uh, I had one of those body types that uh, I could either go both ways, either as a running back or put on enough weight I can be a fullback. So, um I played um, see, seven years here with the Cardinals and went with the New York Giants. Primarily, um, pretty good in my rookie year. Second year, I got hurt. Um, uh, came back. 
pretty good player, but not as good as I was before I got hurt. And so uh, it took uh, a lot of uh, work, dedication uh, to be able to go from being a running back to being a fullback because as a running back, your number gets called a hell of a lot many more times than as a fullback. Unless you're, you know, what, third and one, Jim? <laughs> third and two at most. But uh, <clears throat> so I captivated uh, from going from a player to a coach and 27 years worth, it must be coaches. We, we either must be bad coaches or we didn't have enough good football players. <laughs> But anyway, uh, thank you so much, and uh, of course, I'll come back to St. Louis uh, after my uh, coaching career. Love the St. Louis area. Uh, I'd like to go back to home to Texas, but it's too hot. <laughs> but then they can, on the flip, they can say it's too cold here, uh, and so I'm, I'm just kind of like stuck in both both ways. But I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed uh, my time with the with the Cardinals here, and, and of course, uh, get a chance to eat and see a lot of these guys. Uh, and we become pals. Either we were competitive against each other, and then we moved, came back to St. Louis, and now we're back being competitive. But then we're also very good friends and support each other's charities. So thank you very much. And we finish with Eddie Moss, the long shot who came in. 13th round pick, Southeast Missouri State, if I remember, and then you lasted five years in the league. Eddie, the mic is yours, young man. Right. Oh, thanks. Well, first of all, I want to thank everybody for uh, being here today. This is my first time uh, being a part of this group, so here goes. <laughs> uh, had a good time uh, today. See some uh, familiar faces and some unfamiliar faces. Um, I'm from Papa Bluff, Missouri. Now, I played offensive line. I played the defensive line. I played fullback, I played tailback, I played linebacker. I did everything except play quarterback, all right? Now, when I hear him talk about the line, I can appreciate the line because that's where it all starts. If it wasn't for the line, the running backs don't get the glory and the quarterback's not going to get the glory. And then again, when you go on the defense, if the defensive lineman is not doing their job, the linebacker's not going to get the glory and the cornerback's not going to get the glory because the, def def the defensive line plays a very important part. Um, I went to, uh, when I got into the NFL, I went in as a fullback. I got drafted by the Buffalo Bills. O.J. Simpson was a running back. Boy, I tell you what, if I was the size that I am now, I'd have made that team. <laughs> That's <laughs> all they needed was a guard in the backfield. That's all they needed. So, so I take my head off to Jim Otis when I say, when you talk about a fullback, I always tell everybody, a fullback, you have to be full in the front and full in the back. All right. Once again, thank you for having me. So anybody have a question? Can one of you guys talk about maybe Don Coriel, maybe give, you, give us a story behind the scenes maybe or – Something funny or things about him, or maybe <laughs> we don't have that much time. You got one, Jim? Or? Well, I don't want to tell you the thing about it. I just don't want to be sacrilegious, but but uh, Coach Coriel, I mean, believe me now, he's a, a beautiful person. I loved him dearly. He was not only a, a great coach, but he was a personal, great, a great friend of mine. 
But most of the time, most of the time, every time I think of Don, I always think of it. Jesus Christ, <laughs> what in the hell did they do? But he and I, many a time, with the cardiac cards, I'll tell you right now, now the cardiac cards, we, after, after our meetings, and then after, uh, and when the guys would now uh, saunter off to their, uh, their rooms, et cetera, and where we were staying, we were staying over here in the hotel down by, off of, uh, uh, one of the streets here, I can't think of Tinker or whatever it was. But anyway, then we'd go down to the bar, and he and I'd sit down, we'd have a couple of nightcaps. And and no we'd, we'd look over at each other and go, he'd go, you know, the, the bastards, you know, they're, they're going to wait until the last second to pull the damn thing out. And he said, we got to suffer through all of that. I said, yeah, but you know what? The thing about it, the beauty of it is that they do pull it out all the damn time. And that's the way we lived that particular time with the cardiac carts. It was a great group of guys, and, and um, they just had some magic about them that they were going to, no, no matter what the hell was going on in the middle of the game, they knew they were going to win. And I remember one time we are playing the Eagles, and their inside linebacker, Bill Berge, who I do not like at all, even to, <laughs> even to this day, he started crying. He started crying over there. And here it is. It's almost the end of the game, and the Eagles are winning. But we're moving the ball down, and Tommy Banks looks like, hey, you know, you goddamn crybaby, you know. Who in the hell are you? And you're going to really cry in a couple of minutes because we're going to win, this son of a bitch. And, and that's exactly what did happen. But I'll tell you what. Uh, but Coach Coriel was something special. He was really a beautiful person. He was a great, great coach. He should be in the Hall of Fame. He's not going to get there because people don't know how, how great he was. And uh, it's a shame. But that's the way that goes. Uh, let me turn the mic back over right. to you, Frank. Hey, by the way, on Coriolan Hall of Fame, we actually have a Hall of Fame voter. Before I get to Howard, I mean, before I get to this Howard, I'm going to go to this Howard. Hey, give us a little update because this may actually be a year. This is the great Howard Balzer, folks. Thank you. Well, with... 2020 being the 100th anniversary of the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton they're having almost a year-long celebration uh, to go towards September 17th of 2020 which is the actual 100th anniversary so they've decided to have a special centennial class of the Pro of the Hall of Fame which will be different than it's normally done there will still be five modern day guys which will be voted by the regular selection committee but then there'll be a group of 15 people that will be voted on separately that will include 10, 10 players, three contributors, and two head coaches. And there's a committee that's now meeting. Uh, they will present that group of 15, and when they do, everyone will be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And the reason I'm hoping and think it could be a good year for Don is that in the, it's always been hard to get coaches into the Pro Football Hall of Fame because they were included in the vote with players. And so it's very hard a lot of times to say, okay, we're going to vote for this coach, and then that knocks a player out of being enshrined. Well, this year there will be the two coaches not going up against anybody. And so there's a bunch of very good coaches that have been nominated. 
Don is one who's been a finalist within that other group, I think, five or six times. Uh, Tom Flores is in there, Jimmy Johnson, Mike Holmgren, a lot of really good coaches. But with Don being there so many times, I'm just hopeful that this committee made up of 25 people will have Don in this year. Can't guarantee it, but I think this, this could be a great shot for him. I should, should say that Howard is also going to be presenting Isaac Bruce's case. Excuse me. So there's a great chance that uh, it could be a great Hall of Fame weekend. Howard Richards will have our final question. More of a comment than anything. Um, you know, you guys have spent six years at Dallas, another year at Seattle. <clears throat> and as a St. Louis, and I grew up watching these guys. And I will say that uh, uh, to a man at this table, at, at some point you all had a great impact uh, and inspired me to play uh, this game that I love so much. And I get a chance to go back to Dallas and spend time with some of my old teammates, but I feel that this is really my pro football family. You guys have welcomed me, and I appreciate that. And they are, as a former player, I'm telling you, this is a great bunch of guys. Uh, they are wonderful. They have meant so much to the city, and I thank them. Two, one other thing. Uh, two of the most, two of the best compliments I ever received uh, as a player in all the years I played. One came from Joe Paterno when we lost to Penn State while I was at Mizzou and met me at midfield and said, you know, you're a hell of a player. The other one came from Coach Hanman, Coach Hanman a few years ago, uh, after the uh, my induction to the St. Louis Sports Hall of Fame, uh, and he told me I would have loved to have coached you, and Coach, the feeling is mutual. I would have loved to have played for you. Thank you.